You know, the Bible calls people that preach the word uh, to preach as if we're preaching the oracles of God. And, you know, it wouldn't call us to do that if that's not what was happening. The voice of God is on the preaching. And Martin Luther said in the, in the Reformation, when I, when I preach, God, God preaches. <laughs> so let's hear the voice of God. David uh, Mickelson is a very gifted communicator. But we're not just listening to him. Let's hear the voice of God in our deepest hearts. Let's anticipate the blessing and revelation of God from his word. David, we love you. Appreciate you. Give him a warm welcome as he comes and talks. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for all the people who prayed for me in the service. A few people came back and found me and prayed for me. I was trying to hide back there, and somebody came back and prayed for me, and uh, I started getting slain in the spirit. And I said... Okay, dial it down. I need to go up front. And he goes, oh, you have the wall right behind you. Don't worry. So I leaned against the wall, and he, like, doubled the dose. And so I'm a little drunk right now. So, yeah. Thank you, Lord. So we pray for whatever's on me to go on you right now in Jesus' name. I don't want to get slain in the spirit and fall and, uh, because of the damage the impact would do to the floor. So, Okay. You know the definition of a new... Church bulletin blooper is one you've only heard two or three times. So this is a new church bulletin bloopers. Here's one. The sermon this morning, Jesus Walks on Water. The title tonight, Searching for Jesus. (laughs) The choir invites any members of the congregation who enjoys sinning to join the choir. Misspell, typo there. Singing. We used to do bulletin blo- We used to do bulletins, and uh, we would have to. Re- I would read it, my dad would read it, and Jeremiah would read it to make sure we got. And it would take three readings to get rid of the typo. So this is a real thing. The fasting and prayer conference includes free meals. Don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. Next Thursday there will be tryouts for the choir, and they need all the help they can get. Potluck supper Sunday at five p.m. Prayer and medication to follow. Some of you have been to potlucks where it feels like you need medication. The pastor would appreciate it if the ladies of the congregation would lend him their electric girdles for the pancake breakfast next Sunday morning. Eight new choir robes are currently needed due to the addition of several new members and to the deterioration of several others. A new loudspeaker system has been installed in the church. It was given by one of our members in honor of his wife. Applications are now being accepted for two-year-old nursery workers. Hey, if they're willing to be back in the nursery, we'll we'll hire. Brother Lamar has gone on to be the Lord. If you choose to heave during the sermon, please do so quietly. So that's for today. One more. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he diets, yet shall he live. Yeah. Our series is called Living to the Praise of His Glory. Ephesians 1.11 says, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having pre- or being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Would you like to be to the praise of His glory? I would. We've been having a grand old time, haven't we? Looking at different aspects of this idea, living to the praise of His glory. And last week, Pastor Jeremiah flattered me by showing a few clips from one of my sermons. I thought that was really nice. You know, as a child, I'll tell you this. I don't talk about my, 
my grandma Dina very often. My grandma Dina taught me that the golden rule means treating others the way they treat you. That's what she told me. I tried to tell her, Grandma, I, I don't think that's what it says. No, no, that's what it says. Treating others exactly the way they treat you. That's the golden rule. She was really good at making Mickey Mouse-shaped pancakes with green sprinkles and even better at threatening to spank me, but not so good at quoting scripture. However, in honor of my mom's mom, who will be turning 99 this year, I will now do unto Jeremiah what he doeth unto me and show you a short clip of his sermons. So here we go. Double bursting power. That changes it temporarily. There you go. Now we're even. Now we're even, Jeremiah. You showed a clip of me, I showed a clip of you. Even Stephen. Popping the enemy's bubble. Wasn't that great last week? Wonderful stuff. Well, now that we've gotten the golden rule, Grandma Dina style, out of the way, I'm going to start real basic and ask a simple question of everybody. What is glory? What is glory? We can't live to the praise of his glory if we don't know what that word means. My biology professor at college informed me that I would never make a good scientist because while I could spit back all the definitions from the textbook, I was terrible at all the labs. I bungled every lab. I couldn't do, I couldn't do the labs. So she, she, she told me you'll never make a good scientist in front of the whole class. Well, to honor my biology, my mean biology professor, I'm now going to give you the definitions of some of these words. So in the Old Testament, kabod is the word for glory, and it translates as weightiness or heaviness. And many of you have experienced the weighty, heavy presence of the Lord. And uh, I'm feeling that right now, actually. And then in the New Testament, there's a different word. It's a Greek word, and it's doxa, and it means that which shows intrinsic worth and brings praise, or being praiseworthy. So two completely different ideas here, heaviness or weightiness and praiseworthiness, Old Testament, New Testament. And yet they both seem to work, don't they? Together, they, they really do capture what it means, the glory of the Lord. You know, in the world, those who seek glory for themselves usually do so by building themselves up. And then by tearing others down. But where does God find his glory? God always does things different than the world, doesn't he? Thank God. So Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That's Jesus. His glory is found in his grace, through which all of us who, who believe have been made accepted. I really love that about him. In other words, God chooses to see his glory in this, that Jesus Christ suffered and died for sinners. That's where he finds his glory. Not in a trophy, not in a victor's laurel, not in a triumphal march, but in this. A wound in the palm, a wound in the foot, a wound in the side, a wounded head, and sinners brought to life. It's a staggering thought that the God who holds the universe in his hand chooses to see his glory in showing grace to me and you. Because he didn't have to do that. There was no one to make him. He could have done what others do and build himself up while tearing others down. But God being God, he chose to let himself be torn down to build us up. Thank God. Let's go a little deeper. Ephesians 3 is a fun chapter. It's one of those chapters that kind of gives us a little glimpse of things far above our natural world, far beyond our human understanding. And we catch a fleeting sight in this chapter of something I don't think we'll fully understand until we see the Lord. And Paul was writing about the unfolding of God's plan to unify everyone under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then he writes this in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, His intent was that now through the church, that's you, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to who? 
to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that a strange idea? Isn't that a fascinating idea? When you read this, you really want Paul to elaborate a little more, don't you? What rulers and authorities? What? Are these angelic or are they demonic? What do they look like? What are they doing up there all this time? Are they just lounging around in the cosmic living room with us on their galaxy-sized television screens watching all that we're doing? That's a little creepy. Why are they watching us? How are our lives teaching them lessons about God's manifold wisdom? But Paul doesn't elaborate. He just explodes this verse on us like a popped balloon in the middle of a sermon. And then he blithely just moves right on, leaving all of us scratching our heads and wondering, what did that mean? It's kind of a cool idea, but I want to know more. You know, I'm going to have a word with Paul about this when I see him. Maybe not right away. I'm going to say hello first, but eventually I'm going to get around to saying, you know, you could have explained more on that. It is an out-of-this-world thought, though, that you have the ability to bring God glory in front of heavenly beings, and God is glorified when they see how he moves in your life. Your life. Not just Paul's life, Peter's life. Your life. Have you thought about that? Have you appreciated that? Now, here's what I think is happening. Before Christ, nearly all of humanity, with the exception of a remnant of Jewish believers and a few prophets, most of humanity was completely under the control of Satan, like puppets on a string. And we see that in the world today. A lot of people don't realize it, but they're like puppets on a string even now. But as the kingdom of God has been advancing forcefully since the time of Christ, an ever-growing number of believers has cast off those chains, right? Yea, God. And not only that, but God is crushing Satan under our feet. So we go from being enchained by Satan, now we're crushing him. That's what it says. The Lord is crushing Satan under your feet when you're a believer. That's a fun idea. Now, to beings in the heavenly realms who can see not only our world, but they see what's going on spiritually, it might not look like we should be able to crush the enemy. I hate to say it, but compared to me and you and our natural selves, that is to say, not, um, you know, not with the Lord, but just in, on our own, the devil looks really big. But compared to our meager human strength, but when you add in the Lord, we're greater. We're greater, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So that's why God gets the glory when he actually is able to crush the enemy under your feet. God wasn't satisfied just to crush the devil under his feet or to crush the devil under the feet of Michael the archangel or someone about the devil's size. We're talking about you and me, but with the Lord, we can crush the enemy. And spiritual beings are watching this and they're seeing God move through us and God is being magnified and glorified through your victories. And God being God, he's going to get the glory no matter what we do. We actually can't detract from his glory. He always gets the glory no matter what we do. And I want to give you an example of this. How God, the way God plays the game, it's heads I win, tails you lose. God always wins with the devil. He's going to win no matter what. But I want to explain this for a second. Let's take Peter and Judas as examples. Peter was called to be a disciple. Judas was called to be a disciple. They were both called to be disciples. And was Judas's calling a fake calling? No, he was actually called to be a disciple. He made other choices though, didn't he? So when Peter was sifted and failed and then repented and overcame, God used him to found his church. God was glorified before all the heavenly realms through that. Everybody up there was watching. They watched Satan try to hinder Peter from founding the church of God. And Jesus told Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And God was glorified through that. On the other hand, let's take Judas. 
Judas rebelled against his calling and was brought very low. He was brought to nothing in his sin, and he came to a grisly ending. You don't need to know how he ended, but it wasn't pretty. You can read it in the Bible if you want to, but we try to keep our services PG here, so it wasn't pretty sight how he ended. But that was also witnessed in the heavenly realms, wasn't it? The ending that Judas came to, and God was glorified and vindicated through that. And so, whatever happens, whether we obey or disobey, God will be glorified. It's better for you if he's glorified through your obedience. It's infinitely better for you if God gets his glory through your overcoming, not through your giving in to the devil. Don't make yourself an enemy of God like Judas did. Make choices to overcome like Peter did so God can be glorified through your victories. Amen? God will be glorified through our victories. I'm just going to declare that into this room right now. Shake up the room a little bit. Now, I know you want to live for the praise of his glory just because you love him. Can anybody say, I want to live for the praise of his glory just because I love him? A few people? Okay, good. A few? Good. Thank you. I'm assuming the others who didn't raise their hand were just sleeping, so. You do that because he's in you, and he's changed your nature to sonship, to daughtership. When I wrote the word daughtership on Microsoft Word, it told me that's not a word, but I'm saying it anyway. It should be a word, shouldn't it? If sonship is a word, why shouldn't daughtership be a word? He's changed your nature to sonship, to daughtership. So, let's be honest. As human beings, we like to know how something affects us directly. To be blunt, what's in it for me? Is that too blunt? Am I getting a little too real right now? Are there any other reasons we should want to glorify God besides just, it's the right thing to do? Well, since God himself promises bluntly to reward those who seek him, it is okay to look further into these things. So let's delve a little deeper into this book of Ephesians which is all about living to the praise of his glory. And we want to find out what happens in our lives when we live to glorify him. What's in it for us? You know, I read Ephesians through several times preparing for today in lots of different translations. And I noticed something for the first time reading through this book, which I will now graciously share with you. The first half of this letter is all about the position we hold and the identity Christ won for us. And the second half is all about how we ought to live out of that position and that identity. So let me explain further what I mean here. You're going to have to kind of pay attention. I'm sorry. I know it's not fun to have to pay attention during a sermon, but try to pay attention to this. The first three chapters out of six are all about who we are, where we are, and what we possess, what we possess in Christ. In other words, what is our identity in Christ? Let me show you what I mean. Bear with me here. I'm going to go kind of fast through the first three chapters. And... uh, You can bear with me patiently, or if not patiently, at least bear with me impatiently. And if you do have to heave, do so quietly. (laughs) Chapter 1, verse 3 says, The Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's where we are. That's who we are. 1, 4. We are chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. That's who we are. 1, 5. We are predestined for adoption as sons and daughters. I need to go a little faster, so I'm just going to give you little snippets here. 1, 6. Made accepted. 1 7, redeemed. 11, heirs. 18, called. Chapter 2, verse 1, made alive. Verse 6, raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Verse 10, God's workmanship. 13, brought near. 15, a new man. 16, reconciled to God. 18, we have access to the Father. 19, not strangers, but family. 20, Built into place. 
21, a holy temple, again, a dwelling place for God. Chapter 3, verse 6, partakers in Christ's promise. Verse 9, recipients of the unsearchable riches of Christ. 10, showpieces of God's manifold wisdom to heavenly beings. We talked about that. 12, bold, with access, confident. Lots of identity spoken into you in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Nothing influences our actions more than our identity. That's why the enemy knows this. He's always trying to make us feel what? Weak, small, inadequate, ashamed, afraid. He's trying to speak to your identity because he wants to use that to control your actions. And that's why God, through Paul, spent three whole chapters out of six telling us who we are, where we are, and what we possess. Now, firmly established in our identity, we can live out victorious lives that Paul unfolds for us in the second half of this book. The next three chapters are all about how we ought to live out of that identity. And I'm going to do this again. I'm going to try to go fast. Bear with me patiently or impatiently. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Live a life worthy of your calling. Verse 2. Be humble, gentle, long-suffering. 3. Unified. 7 through 11. Use your gifts to build up the church. 12. Equip the saints. Edify the body of Christ. 13. Grow in the knowledge and unity of Christ. 15. Speak the truth in love. 16. Do your part in the body of Christ. 17. No longer walk in darkness. 19. Refrain from lewdness, uncleanness, and greediness. 21. Put off the old man. 23. Be renewed in your mind. 24. Put on the new man, righteous and holy. 25. Don't lie. 26. Don't sin in anger. 28. Steal no longer. 29. Avoid corrupt speech. 31. Give up bitterness, wrath, anger, and evil speech. 32. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Chapter 5, verse 1. Imitate God. Verse 2. Walk in love. 3. Don't fornicate or covet. 4. No coarse jesting. 8. Walk in the light. 10. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. 11. Avoid unfruitful works of darkness. 15. Walk in wisdom. 16. Redeem the time. That's a big one. 17, understand God's will. 18, don't be drunk. 19, sing to the Lord. We did that earlier. 20, always give thanks. 21, submit to one another in love. 22, wives obey your husbands. 25, husbands love your wives. 6, 1, children obey your parents. Now I'm going long, so I'm just going to stop there and say the rest of chapter 6 is about putting on the armor of God. That's a big list. There's a lot to do there. If you're like me, you can't do that on your own. You have to have breakthrough in your identity to live that out. That's why it's so important to get the first three chapters so you can live out the next three chapters. It takes the pressure off. When you're trying to live out those last three chapters, when you don't have the identity, you're going to be striving and you're going to be spinning your wheels. It's going to be really frustrating. But when you have the identity, it just flows. So get the identity right and then the lifestyle will flow from that. Now... I'm going to focus now on one verse, which I think is the key to this whole passage, and it's right in the middle between these two sections. It's at the very end of chapter 3, right where these two passages meet, and I think it's the key to this whole thing. So I'm going to read this, and we're going to put it up on the screen. It's chapter 3, verse 14. I think this is the key to the whole passage. Here's Paul praying for uh, for the Ephesians and for all of us. He said, For this reason I bow... My knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and here's the key part of this, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and height and length and depth, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul understands how powerful it is when we have revelation of God's love. He understands that revelation is foundational to our identity and thus to our lives. You'll note that he doesn't just say, gee, you guys, you should believe that God loves you. Why? Because saying it is not as powerful as praying. Saying it at an intellectual level is fine, it's good. But praying it in uh, provides a way for God to reveal it to you personally. And that's what he's doing here. You were made for love. Did you know that? You were made to love being loved. Who loves being loved? I do. Everybody should be raising their hand for that. That's how you were made. If you could see your heart in the spirit, what it looks like. It's a great big receptacle, like a reservoir, open to the heavens, ready to be filled. Filled with what? There's only one thing that can fill up your heart. It's God's love. That's what you were made for. And that's why people feel so empty when they try to fill that reservoir with everything else except God's love. It's not going to fill you up. They feel empty because they are empty. Only an infinity of love can fill you. Part of what it means to be created in God's image is that you are created so that the only thing that can truly fill you is an infinity of love. God is infinite. And we are finite in so many ways, but not in this way. In this way, we are also infinite. Inasmuch as it takes an infinity of love to fill us up. You know, angels are watching all this and they're marveling at the infinity of God's love for us. As far as we know, they've never sinned. The good ones, the ones that are not fallen angels. And so they've never experienced grace. They've never had to be forgiven. So their understanding of grace is based on watching what's going on here. How much grace will he show them? In fact, there's a parable where uh, the angels see the tares and the wheat, you know, the, the sons of God and the sons of the enemy, and they ask God, should we just destroy all of them? And he's like, no, no, just let, it, let's, let this progress. So angels are watching all this and wondering, wondering about God's love and his grace. How much grace will he show them? And there's a, a verse in First Peter that speaks to this. It says, even the angels long to look into these things. So they are learning about God's grace through you, through me. And there's a great old hymn. It's called, And Can It Be?, uh, it's a little old-fashioned, so we never sing it here. I wish we would someday. Hint, hint to all of our worship leaders. But it's written by Charles Wesley. And the second verse is really profound. And he says this about everything I'm talking about. Um, not yet for that. He said this, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies," talking about Jesus, "'who can explore his strange design. In vain the firstborn seraph,' that's angels, "'try to sound the depth of love divine.'" You know, back in the days of wooden sailing ships, they would run aground a lot because the wind would blow them ashore. And so that what they would do is they would have a sailor in the front of the ship and he would let down a line with the lead attached to it and he would sound out the depth. You know, 20 fathoms, 10 fathoms, that's when you know you're getting in trouble. And they would make sure that it wasn't too shallow. So that's what it means to sound out the depth. So the picture here is of a group of angels in the front of an old wooden ship and they're letting out a line, trying to find out where's the bottom of God's love? Where does it end? 
And they let out the line more, 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 and they can't find the end. And it goes, you could let out 100 miles of line or 100,000. You never find the bottom. You never find the ocean floor because it goes on forever. Here's the end of this verse. Tis mercy all. Let earth adore. Let angel minds inquire no more. Stop trying to find the bottom. You'll never find it. His love goes on forever. For you. That's what you were made for. And that's how you secure your identity. There is a practical application to God's love. It helps us to find out who we really are. To know the depth, width, height, and length of his love for you is how you live to the praise of his glory. It's the only way to do it. Life is a chore. It's a daily grind if you don't know his love for you. Life is a delight if you do. And that's what's in it for you. You notice that Paul doesn't pray he could have prayed anything he could have prayed that they would know that they're seated with christ in heavenly places he could have prayed that they would live out some of the good things he talks about in the last three chapters of the book there's lots that he could have prayed what is the one he has if he has one prayer to pray what is his priority that they would know the full dimensions in in three dimensions of god's love for them because he knows that's the key to your securing your identity, looking back to the first three chapters, that's the key to living out of that identity, looking forward to the rest of the book, to know God's love for them. You know, Winston Churchill, I can't preach without talking about Churchill or World War II. He wrote his war memoirs in six volumes, and the middle volume he called The Hinge of Fate, because prior to that, everything had gone poorly. He said, we lost every battle, and then finally... We got the um, dominance, and we started winning every battle. And so he calls that book The Hinge of Fate. It's it's an amazing transition from nothing but defeats to nothing but victories when you read it. I've always thought that's a great phrase, The Hinge of Fate. So you have a hinge of fate in your life, how you go from nothing but defeats to nothing but victories. And that hinge turns on this one thing, to know the love of God for you. If you can get this one thing right, everything else will fall into place. And it's a lot of fun, too, so there's that. Toward the, end, toward the end of Paul's letter here in Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verse 12, we learn from him, he says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And he wrote to the Corinthians, his second letter, chapter 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means they're not of this world but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Did you know your spiritual warfare is simply to bring thoughts into captivity? Our battlefield, and we are in a battle, if you didn't know that, wake up. The ground we're trying to take and hold and the enemy is trying to take and hold that exact same ground, and we both can't have it, one of us is going to get it, is simply this, our knowledge of God. The enemy is trying to exalt himself against the knowledge of God. We're taking thoughts captive to prevent that. That's our battle. The more we find out about God's love, the more joyful we become. The more we pursue even greater measure of his presence. The more we can easily overcome temptation. The more we walk in our calling. When we do that, we become immensely dangerous to the enemy. That's why he's fighting so hard to prevent you from finding out. Don't let them find out how much God loves them. Keep it a secret. Veil their eyes. They can't find out or they'll become immensely dangerous to me. 
You want to find out? On the other hand, the one who remains largely ignorant of God's love will keep a hard heart and will be open to all sorts of attacks because of that. I'm going to read Ephesians 4.18 about this. It says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You see our ignorance of God and a hard heart go hand in hand. I'm going to tell you something my dad remarked to me offhand a few years ago. It was a long time ago, actually, but it stuck with me because it was a little bit convicting, actually. He said that he's never known anyone who is mad at God who isn't involved in some sort of uh, lifestyle sin or habit, sinful habit. It's just something he's noticed over the years. There's no verse for that, but it's just when you've been in ministry for decades, you start to notice certain patterns. Now, there could be an exception to that formula. Maybe somebody here is mad at God, and besides that one sin, you're, uh, you're not living in any kind of other sin. I guess anything is conceivable. But it does seem to be true generally that being angry with God and having some sort of lifestyle or habit of sin go hand in hand. I don't know why that should be, but hardness of heart seems to go with ignorance of God, seems to go with sin. We're not going to let that be us, amen? On the other hand, here's the good side of this. Knowledge of the God who is love empowers a life lived to his glory. Knowledge of the God who is love empowers you to live for his glory. You can't do it without being empowered to do it. So you need that knowledge of God's love. So since this is the hinge on which everything in our life turns, how do we get it? How do we find out revelation of how much God loves us? Kind of an important topic, isn't it? There's lots of ways. I'm just going to share a few. And I really think each one of these deserves its own sermon. But I'm just going to throw them at you. And then you can take it and do the work with God throughout the week. I know you're not supposed to assign homework during the summer. (laughs) One, you follow Paul's example and ask for it. Ask and you shall receive. In fact, we should all be asking for this every day. I don't care how mature you are as a Christian, how advanced you are in God's service, you can always grow in the knowledge of God. We have a finite time here on this earth. It's so short. And our minds are finite. Some of our minds are more finite than others. Look at certain politicians. There are some very finite minds in high places right now. But his love is infinite. There's always more to learn, and there's always, there always will be more to learn into eternity. That's why it says in chapter 2, verse 6 of Ephesians, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing the kindness of Jesus Christ to us. We have coming ages of learning about Christ's kindness. It's going to be fun, but let's start now. We're going to be learning about this into eternity, but let's start now. So pray for this. I know people pray for something kind of like, Dear Jesus, please bless so-and-so. And then when it's about something they really care about, God, bless my finances. You know, Pray for this the way you pray for your finances. Pray for this the way you pray for your family's safety. Pray for this the way you pray for healing. This should be one of your passionate prayers. Pray to know how much he loves you. We need this desperately. One of the most important parts of your Christian walk is to bask in his love for you. The head pastor of our church when I was a kid had a bunch of great one-liners. 
I thought he was so old. He was, he was only in his 50s. <laughs> now that doesn't seem very old. Maybe he was in his young 60s. So this is one thing he used to say to me. David, don't just do something. Stand there. My friends, don't just do something. Stand there and bask in his love. The number one command is to love God with everything in you. And you can't do that unless you first have revelation of how much he loves you. Second, practice gratitude. Ephesians 5.20, give thanks always. Thankfulness for his goodness will help you comprehend his love. We should all be thanking God all day long. I like to thank God for little things. Thank you, Lord, for your glorious creation. Thank you for the trees. Thank you for maple trees because they give us maple donuts. Thank you for coffee in the morning. Thanks for this chair. Thank you that no one saw me spill coffee on this chair. Some of you might be thinking that already. Thank you that my rude coworker got fired. Wait, I don't know if you can pray that one. I don't know if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But you get the idea. Be a practitioner of gratitude. and You will grow in awareness of his love. Finally, I'm just going to say this. Declare it. I'm a big believer in declarations. There's power of life and death in the tongue. All of our tongues have gotten us into trouble now and again. In our, we've said things we wish we hadn't said. Well, here's a chance to let your tongue be on fire from heaven, not the other way around. Make godly declarations. If you want to have some fun, find out what, what's the biggest lie the enemy is trying to get you to believe. And then declare the opposite. Really rub it in his face. This is a biggie. Lord, I know that you love me. Or better yet, I'm growing every day in knowledge of your love. Lord, if there's anyone here who needs to declare that all week, I pray you won't let them forget that line. Lord, thank you that I'm growing every day in the knowledge of your love. When I was a teenager, I went through a lonely couple of years, and somebody perceived that prophetically. I tried to hide it outwardly, but he said, you, you don't look like it on the outside, but on the inside, you're lonely. And God has a word for you to help you with that. He said, say every day, I know that you love me. I wish I had done it more faithfully. I didn't believe in declarations back then, and I, I would say it, and I would say, this is stupid, that didn't do anything. So I stopped. But looking back, the times that I did do it, it made a difference. So I wish I had done it more. No matter how old you are, if you have breath in you, it's never too late to start making godly decorations and watch as your life changes miraculously. I'm going to end with a quick story. I've shared this many times. When I was 14, I was feeling overwhelmed with sadness about something. And as, as I lay in bed one night, I was overcome with sadness. And then the Spirit of God hit me out of the blue. I didn't ask for it. I wasn't expecting it. I've never felt anything like that before. It landed on me like a baby elephant. All over me. Warmth. Heaviness of glory. The kabod the Hebrews wrote about. A weightiness of, of his presence. Waves of heat and warmth. Just like liquid love. It scared me. What is this? What's going on? Am I dying? Is this the second coming? What's happening? I couldn't even get up out of bed. I couldn't move. And the weird thing was I just started laughing. There was no funny joke. The baby elephant didn't crack a wisecrack. I just started laughing. And I laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed for minutes. Have you ever been by yourself and laughed for minutes? You feel crazy if you do that. You probably are if you do that. But in this case, well, maybe it was. But I finally fell asleep. And the next morning, I could still barely get up. Now, many of us, we've reached a certain age where it's normal. When you get up, you can barely walk. But when I was 14, you should be able to get up and walk. But I could barely walk. 
And it lasted for a long time. And I was so confused. What was that, Lord? What did that mean? I was asking him, what even was that? Because I felt this buoyancy for days afterwards. And years passed before I looked. Looking back, I realized he was saying to me, here's what my love can do. Because he didn't change any of the circumstances I was feeling sad about. But just his mere presence turned it to laughter. Turned tears to laughter. Turned sadness to joy. Just his presence. And of course, his presence will eventually switch the circumstances too. But he brings joy first. Because it's always found in him. It's not even found in the circumstances. Thank you, Lord. You know, Paul and Silas, when they were in prison, they were shackled. And they had just been whipped. And they were all bruised and bloody and battered. And it was pitch dark what did they do they were singing praises joyfully and it wasn't just putting on a show it was the real deal the joy of the lord can turn our circumstances no matter what's going on into the presence of the lord into joy because he's with us he is the god who turns tears into laughter so that's what's in it for you living for his glory fills you up with his joy and makes life a delight do whatever you can to get that I'm done. I'm going to pray for you. So put your hands out. Thank you, Lord. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, we embrace it for ourselves as well. Strengthen us in our inner man, in the inner woman. Strengthen us in our inner self to know how high and wide and deep. What did I forget? High, wide, deep, and long is your love for us. To live from that so that we can know our identity in you and then live out that identity. Make it fun. Make it easy. I pray for each person this week, whatever they need to hear from this sermon, remind them during the week so they actually change their lives, so that you can be enabled to change their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you. Living for the praise of his glory from identity, from that anchor point of his love. Well, such a... Wonderful, clear revelation from Ephesians. Thank you, David. We'll have a prayer team up front here to pray with you for a breakthrough you might need in some area of your life. There are a few people here that are not born again. You're not born from heaven. Your spirit's dead. And you sh- I want to appeal to you to not go one more day without your spirit being born again, giving your life to Jesus. You know it's not working for you, and Jesus can turn things around for you. Come up and just say, I'm ready to be born again. The people up here will pray for you for that. Healing, miracle in some area, relationship breakthrough, whatever you need help with, Jesus will minister help through his hands and his feet being the body of Christ ministering to you. So please take advantage of this opportunity we have not because we ask not get some help that pastoral care team can come up now and we'll just say god bless you thank you so much for being with us today remember god loves you don't forget that we love you have a great day